In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. The week before Thanksgiving, our son Parker sent me a cartoon. It is a couple studying a Thanksgiving seating chart that is drawn on butcher paper and hanging on the wall. There are notations and arrows indicating Trumpers and liberals and vegans. <laughs> the husband, using a pointer to indicate his strategy on the map, is saying, Aunt Millie is an alt-writer and Cousin Jimmy is a socialist. But if we sit the Episcopalians between all of them, I think we have a shot at keeping the peace. <laughs> I love this cartoon because most of us Episcopalians are proud of our perceived image as being so reasonable and inclusive and able to have space for and even a curiosity about a large range of opinions and beliefs and understandings. We don't feel a need to rush to judgment or assert our view as the only acceptable one. And for some of you, this has been your actual experience. We have many folks who have found a home in the Episcopal Church because they first felt homeless in another church. We have members who are divorced and remarried who are recovering from churches that provide an unbending interpretation of Mark 10. We have gay members those part of the LGBTQ community who are recovering from churches that told them that based on 1 Corinthians 6, they will not enter the kingdom of God. We have members who are recovering from churches who told them that there was one right way to understand scripture and its meaning and to wrestle with or question this was unfaithful. Many of us who experienced Christian judgment in other churches have gratefully found an accepting home in the Episcopal Church. And then, here comes John the Baptist. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? The one coming has a winnowing fork in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. We Episcopalians are generally uncomfortable with John the Baptist. We really don't want him showing up at our holiday preparations and celebrations. <laughs> Not because we're worried that he'll bring honey-covered locusts as a side dish for the potluck, but because his very presence seems to announce judgment and harshness and wildness and challenge. We like being the place folks can feel comfortable about their relationship with God. But the last thing that John the Baptist, who shows up several times during Advent, year in and year out, wants is for us to feel comfortable. He doesn't want us moving along with our unexamined lives, assuming all will work out for the best. John jolts us out of our self-satisfaction and our reasonableness, and he says, no, no, no. Don't be getting all warm and cozy with your twinkling lights and your cheery holiday music and your festive celebrations and your gifts given and received. You don't get the option of just going along through life as usual. You're either all in or you're not in. And if you're all in, now is the time to repent, to prepare for God's kingdom, which is breaking in as we speak. 
many of you know, I grew up Roman Catholic. In the church I grew up in, before I found my home in the Episcopal Church, Advent is lived out as a little Lent. The vestments are the same purple color, and there is much focus on penitence. One of the many things I loved when I came to the Episcopal Church is the clear distinction between Advent and Lent. Advent, with its beautiful serum blue vestments, is a time of preparation in contrast with Lent as a time of penitence. But what if repentance is part of our Advent preparation? John the Baptist would certainly say it is. Most of us understand repentance as regret or remorse for past sins, those things done and left undone as we confess each week. But metanoia, the Greek word from which we translate repentance, means to turn around, to move in a new direction. It's not meant to draw our gaze back to sorrow about the past as much as it is to draw our gaze forward to the promise of a new beginning. God is looking to do a new thing in us and in the world, and John calls us to prepare for that inbreaking. We are invited to slow down and take stock, to determine where we have strayed from God's will for us, to acknowledge how our words and actions and lifestyles might be complicit in working against God's purposes instead of in helping to bring them about. And while as good Episcopalians we might not need go so far as John's image of burning chaff, it is true that in this inventory-taking we experience judgment in the pain of our remorse. After all, the call for repentance signals there is something wrong, that there is a need for change. And as Chris pointed out last week, you cannot get to justice without judgment. But the God who will judge us at the consummation of all things is the same God who gently and lovingly judges us now, day by day. He works in us so that we will not be satisfied with lesser things, but will want to grow more and more into the shape of Christ. He convicts and nudges us, helping us to see where we've fallen off the path. He stirs in our hearts a desire to become ourselves as He already sees us. This is the preparatory work of repentance, which John and Advent call us to. And once we've walked through this good and holy work, we will emerge moving in a new direction and bearing good fruit. John reminds us that repentance and fruit belong together. It isn't an interior reckoning only, but issues in our actively rolling up our sleeves and digging into God's work. Bearing good fruit means that our lives reflect actions and choices which are consistent with having made a declaration against the destructive things of this world and aligning ourselves with the beautiful purposes of God's kingdom. God invites us into His vision, something beyond which we can currently see. Fortunately for us, God does not ask us if we're there yet but only 
if we're moving in the right direction. Much as we'd like to as we make our way through our holiday preparations, John the Baptist is a messenger that we cannot ignore. The voice of John demands our attention, urging us to put aside all the other voices that distract us, both external and internal, and pay attention to the call for a change of our hearts and our habits. More than trees and lights and gifts and parties, this is the preparation he so uncomfortably and loudly and unavoidably calls us into. You know, theologians Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan point out that the biblical understanding of repentance is deeply shaped by the Jewish experience of exile. To repent is to follow the prepared way of the Lord that leads out of separation and into reconciliation with the one who made us and loves us beyond all understanding. So perhaps in the final analysis, John, who disturbs us with his clothing and manner and judgmental message, is really just inviting us to return home to God. Amen.